Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. and welcome to the Mav Beauty Brands second quarter 2021 earnings call. Today's conference is being recorded. If you would like to ask a question during today's call, please press star one on your telephone keypad. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Craig Armitage, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, just a quick note before we get started that our remarks today uh, may provide certain information regarding our expectations, future plans, and intentions that may constitute forward-looking statements. I would refer you to the most recently filed MDNA or the AIF, both of which are available on our website and on CDAR. These include a summary of the significant assumptions underlying these forward-looking statements and certain risks that could affect the company's performance and the ability to deliver on these forward-looking statements. Again, you'll find the Q2 earnings release of statements and the MDNA on the IR section of the MAB Beauty Brands website. Uh, also, I'd highlight that in the financial discussion today, uh, the comparisons are Q2 2021 versus Q2 2020, unless otherwise indicated. Uh, with that, I'll turn the call over to Chris uh, Elshaw, Interim CEO and Chairman. Chris? Thank you, Craig. Good morning, everybody. I'm very pleased to meet you all over the phone. Let me introduce myself. My name is Chris Elshaw, and I have been Chairman of the Board of Matt Beauty Brands since our IPO. So with that, welcome to our second quarter 2021 conference call. The MAP board strongly believes in this distinctive collection of entrepreneurial brands and the continued value of the MAP platform that we are developing in the beauty and personal care category. As such, we are committed to building upon MAP's past successes with more consistent business execution and ultimately reported results. Part of that investment is in our investment in people. As you will have seen in the recent press release, Tim Bunch, our former president and CEO, has left the company. I'd like to thank Tim for his efforts while at MAD and wish him all the best for the future. As announced, Serge Juradimi will be joining us as president and CEO on August 17, and Laurel Mackay Lee will be joining us as CFO on August 30th. Until Serge joins us, I will serve as interim CEO. I will give you more background on Serge and Laurel later in the call. Joining me on the call today is Neve Majar, our interim chief financial officer. Neve has done an admirable job filling in as interim CFO and will continue as vice president of finance once Laurel joins. Those transitions notwithstanding, let me start with an overview of the quarter and some reasons for the results. Revenues were $29.1 million, down from $29.6 million, a decline of 1.8%. The year-over-year decrease mainly reflects net distribution decreases across a number of brands in the U.S. and Canada, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. 
For the international region, revenue increased by 34.7% to $2.1 million compared to $1.6 million, reflecting improved operating conditions as more markets fully reopen, benefiting both shipments and consumer sales. To give you a better sense of how our brands are performing in the marketplace, let me give you some point-of-sale data. This data is the aggregation of point-of-sale data in our major retailers in the US and Canada, representing approximately 75% of the business. Our overall retail sales are down low double digits for the last 13 weeks data available. However, as mentioned earlier, this reduction in net sales is largely a result of distribution decreases. Sales per week per point of distribution are up low single digits in the last 13 weeks and are accelerating in the last four weeks. So let me spend a moment getting into more details on the causes of these distribution changes and their impact on our reported results. Distribution changes year over year are a result of innovation successes and failures. MAP has had some very successful innovation, but has also had its fair share of failures. When there are large distribution increases, the new products that perform well often increase their distribution, whereas those that don't perform well are discontinued the following year. If too many of the new innovations do not perform, the result is a reduction in net sales not only through low distribution, but also from returns and markdowns. We will never entirely eliminate those innovations that do not succeed. No company does. But we have proven that we can produce very successful innovation, and we are already in the midst of a work stream to improve and optimize our innovation process, and thus increase the proportion of successes each year. And now let's take a moment on gross profit margin, which was 40.1% compared to 51.3%, excluding the impacts of the purchase accounting adjustment for the main choice acquisition. The decline in gross profit and gross profit margin was the result of a number of items. An increase in the company's provision for inventory obsolescence to reflect changes in forecasted demand and expected selling costs the recognition of vendor commitments that are no longer required. Increased sales of non-core products at low gross margins and increased promotional spend. We are also seeing the beginning of cost pressures in supply chain inputs. Some of the obsolescence costs relate to innovation that was not successful that I mentioned earlier and that we're in the process of fixing. These results are also a function of challenges in the supply chain. As with our innovation process, work is already underway to improve inventory management and customer service. We believe a focus on integrated business planning can, over time, significantly improve our performance here, reducing inventory carrying costs, obsolescence, and customer compliance charges. Additionally, our control of trade spend can be further optimized. This reduction in gross profits and some increases in SG&A 
resulted in adjusted EBITDA of $3.8 million, down from $8.1 million. We believe these results are not a reflection of the potential of our business. And as our goal, we are not satisfied with this level of performance. I will talk more about actions to be taken in a moment. MAP has a portfolio of distinctive brands, with each brand having a differentiated role in the resilient hair care category and good brand equity that can be built on over time. Mark Anthony has a strong and long heritage and has had some very successful new product development over the years, including this year. In addition, we have continued opportunities for distribution and velocity growth, particularly in the US mass channel. Rempure is returning to the value proposition that built the business. Combining price, size, and benefits attractive to our core consumer and seeing positive momentum. While distribution was significantly reduced this year from the high of last year, principally from the discontinuations amongst the advanced hair care range, which did not resonate with our consumers, velocity on the remaining core items is significantly higher, and hence we are being much more productive on the retailer shelf. Cake continues to attract new consumers and continue its upward trajectory with increasing sales, distribution, and velocity, with lots of runway ahead of us. Finally, the main choice had a reduction in distribution across mass retails. This reduction is a result of pulling SKUs from general market sets that were not a fit for our consumer, as well as a cleanup of the multiple exclusives that reduce productivity and stretch marketing investment. The brand is now focused on a core assortment strategy that is intended to increase velocity of the top SKUs in order to realize organic growth. So from a brand point of view, I believe there is every reason to be optimistic. We have growth opportunities in velocity, distribution, and portfolio expansion. So we believe that the business should be able to achieve above category growth rates in the medium and long term. As consumers return to some of their pre-pandemic behaviors, we will be increasing our investments in marketing and people. Over time, we expect this increased level will be offset by revenue growth and efficiencies generated by our platform. That said, we have already identified multiple significant improvement projects that we are starting and expect to provide valuable efficiencies. In addition, we have the advantages of the asset-like platform effect. Having multiple brands in the same channels managed by a shared platform should provide opportunities for profiting from operational effectiveness of the organization, enabling us to scale businesses and further build margin. In addition, when our capital structure allows, we will continue to make accretive acquisitions to further benefit from the platform. Last but not least, we have a team of dedicated and capable people working hard to build a growing, profitable business. 
I particularly want to thank them for all they have done during the last difficult year. Given all these very positive attributes, we believe that our focus needs to be on improving execution and so obtaining more consistent results. Our processes and systems need a top-to-bottom review to improve them and consequently the disciplined execution of our business plan. I've already outlined some areas of focus. Under the new leadership of Surgeon Laurel, this work will be a priority. Our collective goal will be that over time, we will return to above category growth with category leading EBITDA margins. We are very optimistic in the team's ability to restore a positive growth trajectory. However, we all acknowledge that this will take some time. Serge, Laurel, and the whole team will be focusing on improving the business day by day. With that, perhaps now is a good time to give you the background of Serge and Laurel. Serge Duradini brings over 30 years of beauty and personal care business experience to his leadership of MAD Beauty Brands. Most recently, Serge was Chief Marketing Officer at Revlon Revlon Inc., a global cosmetics, skincare fragrance, and personal care company. Earlier in his distinguished career, Serge held senior positions in other beauty and personal care companies, including as the President and Chief Executive Officer of Arcade Beauty and President of Lancome USA. Laurel Mackay Lee, is an experienced retail and finance executive with over 20 years of industry experience. Most recently, Laurel was Chief Operating Officer at Stream Commerce, a full-service e-commerce agency. Prior to this, Laurel was Vice President in various roles at the Shopping Channel, a division of Rogers Communications Inc., as well as having had a number of senior roles in prominent Canadian companies. I will now turn the call over to Neve to discuss the quarter's results in more detail. Thanks, Chris. Good morning, and thanks for joining us today. Our full filings are available online, so let me focus on the main highlights of the period. Chris discussed revenue and cross-profit margin in some detail, so I will start with cross-profit. Cross-profit decreased. 19.6% to 11.7 million, compared to 14.5 million for the reasons Chris outlined. Excluding share-based compensation charges, adjusted selling and admin expense was 7.8 million, or 26.8% of sales, up from 7.1 million, or 24.1% of sales. The year-over-year change mainly reflects higher overall compliance and professional fees. Adjusted EBITDA decreased to 3.8 million this quarter compared to 8.1 million last year, mainly due to lower gross profit margin, increased selling and admin expense, and lower revenues. Net income was 4.1 million up from 1.6 million last year, and adjusted net income decreased to 0.7 million, or 2 cents per diluted share, compared with 
$4 million or $0.10 cents per diluted share. Adjusted free cash flow for Q2 came in at $2.3 million versus $7.1 million, reflecting the reduction in cash flow from operations over the prior year. We used our free cash flow towards reducing debt by $2.5 million sequentially. Our net debt stood at $123.2 million at quarter end, which includes $7.5 million on our revolver, and cash on hand was $17.8 million. I will now turn the call back to Chris for closing comments. Chris? Thank you, Eve. In summary, my essential message today is that we have a distinctive collection of entrepreneurial brands in a resilient category. The benefits of an asset-like platform and many dedicated and capable employees. Under the leadership of Surgeon Laurel, we intend to return to the growth and profitability profile we all believe our collection of brands and platform have the potential to deliver. Now, operator, please open up the call for questions. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, that is star 1 to ask a question. And we'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal. We'll take our first question from Steph Wissink with Jeffries. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I have a few questions. The first is just on innovation. If you could just talk a little bit about some of the innovation successes and those that didn't work, just trying to understand a little bit about order of magnitude in terms of the, the innovation that wasn't successful and then how you're responding with emphasizing some of the innovation that is working. Hi, Steph, thank you. So, uh, first of all, is you, if you look back over a couple of years, what you see is that the most successful innovation for MAV is building on equities of existing franchises. Um, so, you know, an example would be in Mark Antony, uh, the Curls range, for example. An example in Rempure would be on the larger value sizes. Uh, what doesn't work for us is where we are trying to create almost a new category um, and get behavioral changes, which are perhaps not so easy to get. So, you know, the pods that we launched some years ago were very innovative. Everybody loved them. They had a great response in research. They had a great response from customers. Um, but they just didn't get traction in the marketplace. So we're currently in the midst of a pretty in-depth review of innovation by item, both our own and the competition, and drawing lessons from that. And those lessons will become principles by which we decide which innovation gets through the stage gate process. All right, that's very helpful. And then I think you, you mentioned multiple significant improvement projects 
if you can just help us think through order of prioritization as Sergey and Laurel come in, where are you going to be focusing time in the next six to 12 months, and then what kind of sits out 12 plus months beyond? Well, well, I, I would, you know, I would approach this by going down the PL. So, you know, I would start with trade spend, um, which always needs optimizing. We always need to make sure that we're getting return on investment and only spending on productive activities. So that that's a, a, a big area of focus because obviously you not only want to make sure that it's profitable when you do it, but you want to build a database of learnings so that you can replicate what works and avoid what doesn't. So that's a first bucket. The second bucket's got all to do with cost of goods and inventory and that's to do with integrated business planning and making sure that the marketing plan aligns with the sales plan, aligns with the purchase plan, um, and that we are focusing on cost reduction in our procurements. Uh, we've recently just hired a head of procurements. Um, and that when we, again, back to the stage gate process, the innovation part, that we are launching new products which are margin enhancing, not margin diluting. Uh, so the combination of integrated business planning and a stage gate process are going to deal with a lot of opportunities that we have in the cost of goods area. Um, the next area I would focus on would be in my marketing um, you know of course there are some areas of marketing where it's harder to measure return on investment uh, and others where it's easier but that, even where it's harder you can establish proxies and again you can build up your background of history and learning so that you repeat the good things and avoid the bad things but in all this I would emphasize you are going to have things that don't work if you don't have things that don't work then you're not trying enough things so there is going to be a proportion um, you know, someone famously said many years ago, half of my advertising spending is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, yeah, knowledge has come a long way since then, and we know a lot more. So that whole assessment of return on investment in marketing is crucial. And then in, in the SG&A area, I mean, this is where we get things like compliance charges for late delivery and all that kind of stuff. Well, back to integrated business planning. What that does is it provides you with the right inventory at the right time. And so your inventory carrying costs go down and your customer service rates go up. So, I mean, those are the broad buckets. Beneath each of those buckets are multiple streams of work which are going to be underway uh, improving the performance of our business over time. All right, last one for us is just on your comments on being able to grow, you know, better than the industry. I'm curious what framework you're thinking about in terms of industry growth. Do you have a number that you're benchmarking to, or is it more about the dynamic nature of the industry and just making sure that you're performing with some magnitude of outperformance to that dynamic number? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking at category growth rates. And category growth rates are an amalgam of, you know, everything from the huge brands who, you know, due to their sheer size, you know, if they grow 1%, then they're doing great kind of thing. Um, we have the benefit of 
we are not fully distributed, our portfolio is not fully developed, and we have opportunities to increase velocity through our marketing activity. So those are three levers that are available to us, um, which, you know, if you're a completely well-developed brand, you know, you, you, can't, you can't do all those things. But we've got all the, that runway ahead of us for years to come. Plus, you know, when we find the right accretive acquisitions, we start that whole process again. All right, great. Thank you for the help. And we'll take our next question from Matthew Lee with Canaccord Genuity. Hi, good morning. Um, so maybe just a follow-up question. You know, when you think about the timing of reaching that growth rate, I mean, I know you guys kind of mentioned longer term, but is that, a, you know, a 2022 story or a 2023 story? Or, you know, how do you think about the timing of, you know, reaching industry-beating growth? Well, you know, you probably won't be surprised to hear that I'm not going to give you a date on that. It, you know, it's one of those things whereby, first of all, we're at the start of all these projects. Secondly, we have a new leader joining. Um, it takes some time to get this stuff going. Um, it will be you know, foolhardy of me to predict when that will be. What I can assure you is um, uh, Surge and the team will be every single day focused on this, working towards it, and over time we will make the progress we need to make. Right, fair enough. And then maybe on the EBITDA front, I mean, you kind of called out a couple, you know, one-time sounding items in terms of, um, you know, cost. Can you kind of break down the impact of those one-time costs on your results and, you know, kind of talk about the other costs that might continue going further for the Q3 and Q4? Um, sorry, which which things are you thinking of in particular? Oh, we're just talking about, uh, you know, cost pressures from supply. Uh, you kind of mentioned an increase in SG&A, so I'm just wondering if those are one-time in nature or if they're, uh, you know, the cost profile we're looking at and the EBITDA profile we look at for the quarter is kind of what we should expect for Q3 and Q4. Right, so, yeah, okay. So, um Costs that come from, you know, the obsolescence, et cetera, um, as we work through, you know, our inventory, you know, over time, they will very much reduce. You'll never get rid of them entirely because the very nature of the category whereby you have a lot of innovation and some of it doesn't always work. You're always going to have some level of that, but over time, that will reduce. Um, in SG&A, it was largely to, largely to do with compliance costs. As I mentioned earlier, as you fix your integrated business planning process and you raise your customer service uh, and you optimize your inventory carrying, then those compliance costs reduce. Um, again, given the nature of the industry, I doubt they'll ever disappear entirely. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the, um, the input costs that we're talking about, you know, that's a bit of a crystal ball. Uh, as I said, we're starting to see some uh, increased supply chain input costs, which will start to appear in the second half. I think that's pretty normal. I've heard it in multiple earnings calls. It's not a MAV issue particularly. Um, but their impact is hard to judge right now because you don't know what's going to happen to commodity prices and freight costs. 
Um, but meanwhile, we're working on other efficiency projects inside so that we can at least mitigate some of the impact. Right, okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. And once again, that is star one to ask a question. And it appears, I apologize, one moment, please. Our next question comes from Sabahat Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Um, I guess just on the comments around the retail uptake of some of these new innovations, I guess, are you able to comment on you know, how long the impact of some of these new launches that didn't work out might kind of remain in the market? Or, you know, was this product rationalization that you mentioned implemented relatively quickly and uh, you're sort of only really offering your legacy products in the market at this point? Um, a lot of it has occurred because what happened was they came out at the end of last year, the start of this, which is why you see the net sales reduction. Um, you know, the, the portfolio is going to be constantly optimized forever. You know, first of all, you launch new products and, you know, some of them fail. What you want to do is to make sure more succeed than fail, number one. Number two, consumer preferences change over time. So even if you had a perfectly great product, you know, I, I think a lot about, say, argan oil, which was huge years ago, but over time, consumer preference moved away from it. So over time, those things change. So I would say we've had a lot reflected in these results, but there will always be some element of this going on. It's just the nature of the category in, in which we are in. Okay, and then I guess in terms of um, kind of the new management coming on, um, should we expect some sort of, uh, you know, it's three, six, one type review? And do, do you expect that to be material where you may even kind of review some of your brand positionings or, you know, could there be a more significant rationalization across your portfolio? Just trying to think of the kind of changes we could expect in terms of the strategy shift as uh, new management may take on. Yeah, I, new management's going to arrive and they're going to spend several months understanding everything about the business um, you know, you need to give them that time because you don't want to make major decisions and they need to fully understand the drivers of everything that's going on. And then we would expect to um, review the three-year strategy with them. And, of course, you know, if that results in any changes from our status strategy, we will, of course, you know, communicate that. Um, but I would say it's going to take, we're now nearly in uh, September, so call it three to four months for them to complete that work, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you once that's complete. Okay, and then just last one for me. I think you mentioned, you know, some of the impact on the revenue line was because of some, I guess, delistings or just um, some of that impact across retailers. Is that something that's expected? To, should we think that impacts revenue for the remaining kind of two quarters of the year? or? Um, you know, how should we think about the impact of that? Well, clearly, if you have less um, points of distribution than you had the prior year, 
um, that exists through the whole year, you have less um, opportunities to sell. What offsets that is that what you have there in its place is more productive. So that's a balance. So, you know, I mentioned that our net sales are down, you know, our point of sale is down in total because we have less points of distribution. But the velocity of what's there is improved because it's more productive skews. Now, you know, as we go through the year, we'll be revising our forecast and we'll see, you know, are, we, are those two lines going to intersect? Um, at this stage, we're deep in, you know, a lot of analysis work in order to figure that out. Great. Thanks very much. And we'll take a follow-up question from Steph with Sync with Jeffries. Hi everybody, just one quick follow-up, actually two, two parts to it, is related to the supply chain issues you mentioned and some cost pressures. I'm, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the supply chain in terms of access to goods, but then also any plans to take pricing to pass through some of those uh, rising input costs. So uh, consumer pricing, excuse me, not customer pricing, but consumer and market pricing. Sure. Well, let me start with the last one. You reminded me, actually. So, yes, we are in the midst of conducting pricing studies right now to see where we're able to take pricing. You, know, you, take, you obviously don't want to disadvantage your overall um, gross margin when you do that. So the way we look at it is we test with consumers and we see where is the optimal point for gross margin realization from a pricing point of view. Um, and that's what we will then implement. So that, that work is in progress. Uh, as of now, we don't know how much and where, but we are certainly focused on that. In terms of the cost pressures in the supply chain, we're seeing the cost of componentry rise, which is based on commodity costs. I think that's pretty normal across the industry. Freight, you know, we read about freight costs from China every day, the difficulties of getting shipping and therefore the cost pressures that uh, produces and you know access to goods yes that has improved for us although i know across the market in general there's still problems with access to goods uh, we did use in the past a lot of air freight uh, which of course is very expensive that has fallen a lot this year we're no longer relying on air freight um, so these are it's definitely going to have an impact. As I say, it's hard to say how much an impact it's going to have over time because you don't know if those costs are going to come down. I mean, you know, if freight was at historical levels, you'd be forecasting it to come down. But, yeah, that's a difficult one to know. Now, as I said earlier, those things are a bit out of our hands. You know, A, we have hired a procurement professional to help us try and mitigate some of those things through negotiation. And B, we're working on just internal efficiency programs so that we can offset as much of these things as we can. Okay, great. One final one is on cake. I think that was the one brand that you mentioned was continuing to see higher sales, higher distribution, and higher velocity. So I wanted to just double-click on that brand if we could and talk a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing, um, and maybe if you could help us think about you know, the overall size and opportunity of that brand. Yes, I think you know if you look at the life cycle of cake, I think it's still early in its life cycle. I mean, 
consumers are still discovering us and you know, we have relatively low awareness at this stage. Um, as a, you're right, the, the velocity and the sales are doing well. We're very pleased with it. We've tried various different parts of innovation. We've found innovation that sticks to the core of cake is the most successful. So really the job to be done on cake is to expand the consumer universe. And in line with that is to expand the distribution. Obviously, you don't want to get the two out of line. Um, so I, I think there's years of runway for cake. Thank you. And we have no further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the conference back to Chris Elshaw for any additional or closing remarks. Thank you all very, very much for joining us today and uh, have a good day. Thank you and goodbye. That does conclude today's conference. We thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.